Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? (laughs) (laughs) It's Friday! We got them all in now, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I was going to say, you're a little salty this morning. You wake up with a hairball? <laughs> you have a little hairball in there? Tough on the you, throat. Were you licking yourself <laughs> last night? You, you accumulated a nasty hairball? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a cat once. I don't know if you know this, folks. I, I had... I uh, I took in a kitten when I when I used to work up in a grocery store up in New York. I took in a kitten that couldn't find a home for a little while. Oh, I had to give it away, though, after a little while. Because, yeah, I was never home. I felt bad. The poor thing was there by itself the whole time. I named it Neve. <laughs> Neve because I thought Neve. Yeah, because I thought Nev Campbell's name was Neve. It's <laughs> Nev. And for some reason, I don't know what happened. Someone came in and was a fan of a show. She was in and mentioned a name. And I'm like, there you go. That's the cat's name, Neve. So who knows where Neve the cat is now? Yeah. Little in- non-interesting Dan Bongino uh, life story. All right, I got a stack show for you today. Uh, another another Adam Schiff story falls apart. Uh, another Democrat conspiracy theory collapses. I have a good explanation for you. Uh, I got a great source out there who's constantly prodding in the right direction. Hmm? But uh, I want to get to the economic numbers first because they're just incredible um, again. All right, today's show brought to you by our buddies at Harry's. Listen, Harry's makes the finest razors out there. I use them in the morning at like six o'clock in the morning and I'm still freshly shaven for nighttime hits on Fox. It's terrific. I love Harry's. Harry's is great. Uh, Be smarter with your personal finances too. Harry's can save you about $100 a year if you're a regular shaver. Hey, take care of yourself. Harry's shaving products have won tons of awards, including a 2018 Esquire Grooming Award. They'll keep you looking and feeling great. Listen, this is one of the finest shaves out there for the money. It will, it, I'm telling you, you shave in the morning, you're good the whole day. Unlike a lot of us who get that 5 o'clock shadow, I get like a 2 o'clock shadow without it. Harry's wants you to start the year off right, so they created a trial offer. Claim yours by going to harrys.com slash Bongino. Hey, Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Joe, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Flexi balls, vibrating heads, handles that lo- that look like uh, the, the Starship Enterprise. Now, this, now. These are the tactics. These, <laughs> these, I know you. The leading brands used to raise prices. They fixed that. Uh, Harry's fixed all that by combining a, sli- a simple, clean design with quality, durable blades. At a fair price. They bought a world-class blade factory in Germany and been making quality blades for over 95 years. Tons of uh, five-star reviews. And Harry's replacement cartridges are just $2 each. They get rid of upcharges and are about a half the price of the other uh, other brands. 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know. They'll give you a full refund. Get a $13 value trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Weighted ergonomic handle. Five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade. A trimmer blade. Rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. Listeners of my show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash Bongino. Go to harrys.com slash Bongino to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you to help support the show. Thanks, folks. Okay, the economic numbers came out today. Staggeringly good. 304,000 jobs uh, created in January. Nearly double the number despite the uh, partial government shutdown. Now, they predicted the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people, uh, uh, you know, the Democrats, remember that, Joe? They think that government is the oh, yeah. one of the central figures involved in our life. And if government's not there, yep. then forget it. The economy's going to collapse. Now, the number was staggering. And I, I just want to point out a couple of key notions here that you need to take away from this. The Democrats' argument, ladies and gentlemen, 
that's becoming increasingly prevalent among the left, that higher taxes are somehow correlated with prosperity, economic growth, uh, you know, uh, uh, growth from the bottom up is increasingly falling apart. Middle class wages are rising. Uh, the unemployment number, although it rose to 4.0, it rose because of an anomaly. You may say, how did we add 304,000 jobs, Joe, and unemployment rise? It rose because an anomaly of the partial government shutdown where 175,000 workers were temporarily categorized as unemployed. So disregard that number for a moment. It really is uh, meaningless in, in terms of this. Not that the shutdown was. I'm just saying that it, it was a blip and it was not correlated to the long-term trend, right? Right, right. But the Democrats' argument, and now we're seeing it reappear, Joe. What did I tell you about seven-minute abs? Seven-minute abs. Remember seven-minute abs? The show seven we did on seven-minute abs. Seven-minute abs. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of my favorite shows ever. The clip from Something About Mary, which Joe just played, where the lunatic gets in the car with uh, Ben Stiller. And he's like, I got this idea. You know, eight minute abs. I've got an idea. Seven minutes. I'll play that again. Seven minute abs. <laughs> he can do it in seven minutes. Seven. I warned you that the Democrats in their increasingly virulent anti-Trump zeal were going to get more and more ridiculous in an effort to one up each other with stupid economic policies. So, Joe, as if on cue, I called it. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, what did she do? She oh. called for a 70% tax rate on, P on a marginal tax rate on people who make $10 million or more. Then we have Elizabeth Warren. She's, I don't only want a tax hike, Joe. I want to start seizing assets, too. Oh. So now it doesn't only matter that you paid income taxes. And after you paid your taxes, you bought stuff. Elizabeth Warren wants to tax you on the assets you bought after you paid taxes. So what happened yesterday? Representative Elon Omar... Another radical far left. This came out and proposed, Joe, a 90% tax rate. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I told Joe, did I call it yeah. seven-minute abs? Soon we'll be at six-minute abs. Then we'll be at two-minute abs. Then we'll be at no-minute abs. <laughs> well, you'll just have to think about abs. You won't even have to get the video. They'll, they'll come out with, just think about abs, and then you'll be good. There's no-minute abs. <laughs> That's all you have to do is pot is ponder the idea of having a six pack and you'll get it. That's this is I how need. stupid <laughs> this is getting. That's right. Zero, zero minute abs. I warned you this was coming. Now, okay, we're being sarcastic and a, and a little ridiculous here, but I want to give you the numbers because in my show, we try to blend the two, give you a little bit of a good time on Friday. But I want to give you the hard data now. You have to refute this argument that somehow... The Democrats are, are trying to instill by gaslighting into the economy that higher taxes are going to lead to growth, despite the fact that the Trump administration, in conjunction with the Republicans in the House and Senate, cut taxes pretty dramatically, and the economy is flowering right now, is prospering. So whether you make a causal inference or not, in other words, that the tax cuts caused the economic growth, that's up to you. Causal inferences are tough. But at a minimum... At a minimum, there is clearly a correlation now, Joe, not between higher taxes and growth, but lower taxes and growth. There's nothing controversial about what I just said. The economy's growing at a rate it didn't grow under the last two years of the Obama administration. It's growing at a higher rate now, and we cut taxes. If you understand basic logic, therefore, that means that these lower taxes are at a minimum correlated with higher growth. Causal inferences are tough. I would I would argue that it's causal, but I understand people are hesitant to do that. But correlationally, there's no arguing that. 
There is no correlation whatsoever right now between higher taxes and growth. Now, let's give you some numbers because some of you are still going to stick to this debunked nonsensical line that, well, Barack Obama handed off Trump a really spectacular economy. No, he didn't. Here are the numbers, courtesy of a piece by Lewis Woodhill, which was in the show notes a while ago. Um, uh, Forgive me, but I'll quote it here. Lewis Woodhill does a great job. I think he writes for Real Clear Markets. Ladies and gentlemen, let's compare the last 19 months, because this piece is a couple months old, but it's still the, the, the data is still accurate, Joe. Let's compare the last 19 months of Obama mm-hmm. to the first 19 months of Trump. Does that make mm, sense? You right. dig? Let's go. Let's do the employment ratio. The employment ratio last 18 months of Obama, 19, 19 months of Obama was a, a plus 0.73 percentage points for, for Trump, more than twice Obama's plus 0.35. In other words, the ratio of people employed. Trump mm-hmm. doubled that. That's better. Last 19 months of Obama, first 19 months of Trump. Thank you. Thank you, Joe, for that fine analysis. <laughs> that, thank you for that. That's inva- Joe's invaluable to the show precisely <laughs> for input like that. That's better. Labor force participation. In other words, the number of yeah. people declaring themselves eligible to work in the labor force, right? Mm-hmm. It was plus 0.22 percentage points versus Obama's negative 0.16. That's better. So in other words, labor force participation is better. Thank you, Joe. (laughs) uh, Joe, uh, data point factual analysis number two by Joe Ormacos. That's better. Okay, thank you, Joe. Joe Joe doesn't even need Joe's advocacy. You're welcome, Dan. Here's where we get... (laughs) You're very welcome. Here's where this gets confusing, too. Now, liberals like to cite job numbers by Obama, but what they don't want to tell you is in the last 19 months, those jobs, according to Donna Brazile herself... Who wasn't uh, that was running the DNC at the time? Remember the the DNC emails that were leaked. Yeah. We'll get to that later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In those emails, Don, one of Donna Brazil's own emails, who's running the DNC, she says, "Listen, people aren't feeling job growth because these are all basically crappy part time jobs under Obama." Right. Well, here's the proof because Democrats love to tell you, but the last 19 months of Obama added uh, he added three million jobs. Well, when you look at full time equivalent jobs, Joe. Quality jobs, good jobs, jobs you can support a family on. Yeah. Last 19 months of Obama, 3.3 million. First 19 months under Trump, 4.1 million. That's better. Joe, give us. Thank you, (laughs) Joe. That's better. That's better. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is going to be Joe's new tagline. Like, where's the beef? He's going to market it on a line of t-shirts. You should start a line of t-shirts. Joe Armacost says that's better. One more. Average weekly wages. Grew forty dollars. We're forty dollars and fifty five cents in, uh, in the first nineteen months of Trump versus thirty one dollars and twenty one cents under Obama. Joe, qu- that's better. That- it's better. <laughs> Thank you again. There we go. Joe Armacos providing PhD level economic analysis, folks. I just putting this out there to drive the point home that we can be funny, sarcastic, and humorous. Right. I like that on a Friday. But the reality is the numbers, the data, and the facts. If you're interested in that kind of stuff, back up the fact that the Trump economy, despite being at the long tail end of a long, unnecessary long recovery, that would have been uh, shortened, Joe, if Obama had pursued the economic growth policies Trump did. Yeah. The economy succeeded despite Obama. It is now obvious, but the economy is succeeding now precisely because of some of the policies Donald Trump pursued. It is clear as day. The data back it up. The facts back it up. The economic facts back it up. You ignoring this does not make any of this go away. The arguments for the Democrats are falling apart right now. It's just, it really, it gets old. It gets old having to deal with this and debunk this nonsense every day. 
they're constantly reaching for something new. Well, wages aren't growing. Actually, they are growing. I just read to you the numbers. What middle class wages are averaging now versus under Obama, they're higher. The employment cost index that measures wages is up. The Commerce Department has indicated middle class wages are up. The middle class tax rates were cut. Now, some people have said, fairly enough, well, I lost my SALT deduction in high tax states. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I understand. I certainly sympathize with you, but that's not the fault of Donald Trump. Your federal taxes were cut if you're middle class. The child deduction was up. The standard deduction was up. A lot of the AMT categories were eliminated. If you're in the middle class, your taxes were cut. The reason your taxes are going up in New York and New Jersey and California, in some cases, some, very few, but in some cases, is because you're, you live in a state that taxes you very high. And, and there's just, there's no way around that. All right. Uh, I got a lot, uh, I got a lot to get to here too. Uh, one, one quick other story before we get to this, this massive facepalm for Adam Schiff yesterday, Joe, which was, uh, you know, Schiff, Schiff, he took a facepalm. Even CNN, by the way, has had to acknowledge that Shifty and Eric Swalwell, uh, the two loons promoting this conspiracy theory, uh, they're, they're nothing more than conspiracy theorists. Now these guys are a complete joke. They shouldn't be taken seriously anywhere. They should be laughed out of, uh, <laughs> It's funny. They should be laughed at a polite conversation. Their stuff is complete <laughs> nonsense. They, he took another massive face bomb yesterday. But uh, just quickly, before we get to that, Trump did something really strong, and I want to give him a pat on the back in his administration for this the other day. Joe, there were three really high-quality good judges nominated for the Nutty Ninth, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which yeah. covers California and the West Coast, which frequently... Uh, acts as its own legislative body. Um, It's been a disgrace for a long time, the Ninth Circuit. They call Mm -hmm. it the Nutty Ninth for a reason. Now, the Nutty Ninth is still overwhelmingly uh, uh, Democrat nominees and and really liberal activists. They're not even, uh, they don't even act as judges anymore. But Donald Trump has made, um, nominated three people. He re-nominated because a lot of those were shut down. The new Congress had to take them up again. So he re-nominated two of those three. It was a good move because there was some consideration or talk uh, that made it into the Wall Street Journal op-ed column that the three quality judges, uh, was it Patrick Bumate, uh, Collins, and Bress, uh, were the three that were nominated. He, they, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were, you know, originalists, Joe. And Kamala Harris Mm. and Dianne Feinstein, the two Democratic senators, tried to pull a fast one and say, well, we're not, you know, we want to do the blue slip privilege. We want to stop these three. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Now, they wouldn't have overturned those three judges to balance on the nutty ninth back towards originalist constructionists and doing actual judge work. But it would have made it easier in, say, the, the, uh, you know, getting a, 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 a. a series of judges for a trial, it would have been easier for them to pick a conservative judge, obviously with more conservative judges. So Kamala Harris freaked out. So did Feinstein. They tried to block it. Donald Trump just stomped it. Uh, he renominated two of the three. Bumate bumped down to the district court level and he nominated Kenneth Lee instead. But they're all solid conservative judges. So I know Rush Limbaugh discussed this the other day. It's a big deal, folks. If we nominate... Uh, if we can nominate more judges for the for the ninth as these spots open up and Trump is reelected, we stand a good chance of getting some sense of of uh, judicial restraint back to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. I wanted to mention that the other day, but there's just a lot going on. Uh, so let me get to this major bombshell news um, about what happened with Donald Trump. Let me uh, let's do this read first. because This is going to take a while, folks. Don't go anywhere because there is. Uh, 
This is blowing up in their faces. All right, folks, let me ask you something. What are you doing when you put money in a 401k or an IRA? You store jumper cables in your vehicle or you purchase health insurance. The answer is you're insuring things in your life that matters, your health. You insure your teeth with dental insurance. You insure your home. You get fire insurance, flood insurance in a flood zone. Why do you not have food insurance? It's crazy. The answer is you have to prepare, and you're preparing when you do this stuff. This all makes sense. You heard that story the other day on the show about the Russians and the Chinese and their efforts to create an EMP weapon to knock out the electric grid. You need a food storage plan. Prepare when times are good, not when emergencies strike. The shelves in your grocery store will be empty. The best way to prepare is with My Patriot Supply, and this week they're offering a food kit averages 2,000 calories per day for four weeks. Go to my special site, preparewithdan.com, and you'll save $100 on it today. This four-week food kit includes breakfast, lunches, and dinners that last up to 25 years in storage. I have about 10 of these. Preparing with My Patriot Supply is a smart thing to do. Do it now at preparewithdan.com. That's preparewithdan.com, preparewithdan.com. Okay, so what happened yesterday? Well, let's start with the big story, which I have up. uh, It's a daily caller piece. Nice job. It's up at my show notes, and uh, you should read it. Folks, what has been the core bedrock uh, argument the Democrats have been using for the past few weeks to to uh, promote their Russia collusion conspiracy hoax. They've been using the Don Trump Jr. meeting in 2016. uh, To be precise, it was June 9th of 2016, where Don Jr. met with these two Russians who conveniently were connected to the Hillary Clinton team and people working for Hillary Clinton. But their argument, Joe, has been, look, look, the Trump team colluded. Even Donald Trump's son, Trump Jr., met with these Russians. Ah, that's been their whole argument the whole time. Now, it is a key piece of my book, Spygate, where I debunk all of the rumors surrounding this meeting. And I'm telling you what happened. This was a setup. Those Russians were sent to meet with Don Trump Jr. in order to set him up because what was going to happen about a week later? Well, about a week later, June 15th, and thanks for the reminder this morning from um, uh, my guy out there. You know who you are. Uh, June 15th was when the information about the DNC, Joe, hack, Mm. air quotes there, because we still don't know it was hacked. The DNC emails that they were allegedly hacked, that information was released a week later. After the meeting, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's clear as day to me that those Russians were sent a week earlier to meet with Donald Trump, because Donald Trump Jr., excuse me, and Manafort and Kushner. Because what happened, Joe? Someone got wind that these really damaging DNC emails, these Democrat emails, including the one by Donna Brazil and Podesta and others, that these were going to be leaked and they wanted to find a way. This is pre-election. This is right around the time Donald Trump becomes a nominee. They wanted to find a way to run interference and pin this on the Trump team. This is the hatching of the collusion narrative. They'd already had it in their back pockets from the 2007 Wall Street Journal article by Glenn Simpson and others who's working for Fusion GPS and fostered this. And from the attack on Mike Flynn in 2015 when he went to speak at that dinner and they're like, oh, he was talking to the Russians. This is already in the back of their heads. But now they find out that the DNC emails are going to be released. So this story is fabricated about a hack. That we still can't confirm. May have happened, may not have. We can't confirm it because the FBI has never looked at the servers, right? But what better way to discredit this hack, Joe, than to say the Russians did it with a story and a movie script already written by Glenn Simpson from Fusion GPS? And what better way to set up the Trump team, Joe, than to send two Russians to meet with (laughs) Trump Jr. and say, look, a week before the hack, they were meeting with Don Jr. Now... What's fascinating about this is there's a New York Times piece written 
in July, a year later. Remember what I told you about July of 2017? This fascinating uh, intersection of events that happens right around July of 2017. July of 2017 is when Mueller panics. This is where civil war breaks out between the Russian collusion conspiracy theorists and the Trump team that knows what's going on the whole time that the collusion hoax is a setup. Joe, if you're not, if I'm not, you know, you have to stop me here if you don't understand what I'm saying, all right? Mm -hmm. But this is important. What I'm trying to get across here is evidence has now emerged that this whole thing was a setup. The story at the Daily Caller Yesterday is that the the original leftist story that Don Trump met with these Russians and then called his dad from his cell phone on this blocked number right has now completely fallen apart. Yesterday they got the cell phone records. Don Trump Jr. did not call his dad after the meeting. Adam Schiff has been promoting this the whole time. Schiff Day has been promoting this thing that Trump Jr. met with these Russians and then called his dad to promote this idea that they were somehow colluding. That story is now entirely falling apart. They got the phone records. He did not call his dad. So Adam Schiff, like he always does, and Swalwell and others, Eric Swalwell, were lying to you. What does this have to do with this article a year later? Folks, Mueller knows this, this was a setup. This meeting where these Russians were pushed to meet with Trump Jr. right before the DNC hack was about to come out to set the Trump team up for it. Mm-hmm. The Trump team knows this. Now, right around July of 2017, Manafort, Kushner, and Don Trump Jr. are brought in to discuss in front of a Senate, uh, in front of, excuse me, a congressional committee up there, a a committee up on the Hill, are brought in to talk about what, Joe? To talk about the Trump Tower meeting. What happens July 26th? Manafort, the morning raid on Manafort's house happens. My guess is that Manafort goes up there, talks about the meeting. They get nothing of interest on the collusion hoax. Mueller starts to find out his entire case based on this meeting, which is a setup, was in fact a setup, and they have to shut Manafort down. Now, you may say, well, Dan, that's a stretch. Is it? Because the same week Manafort's door is hit in this unnecessary early morning raid, what else happens? Mueller gets wind of the text messages between the lead investigator, Peter Stroke, in the Trump case and his girlfriend, Lisa Page, a lawyer for the FBI. You know the text messages. What else Mm -hmm. is in the text messages we haven't seen? Folks, this meeting was a clear setup. Now, why am I saying the obvious? I get for my regular listeners, you're probably listening to this show, whether on the treadmill or cooking in your kitchen or in the car. And you may be saying to yourself, Dan, what's the new news here? I don't understand. You've been saying that Trump Tower meeting was a setup the whole time. The Trump team's known this. And they've known it the entire time, Joe. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is, this is what they're holding back. Why they're holding back on this, I don't know. If they're waiting for the Mueller probe to end, because this was, in fact, an investigation of Donald Trump and he doesn't want to be perceived as obstructing a hoax case. I'm not sure, Joe. I can't answer for Donald Trump why he's not declassifying all of this right now. My guess is that is that this is an investigation into Donald Trump himself based on a hoax. Trump knows it's a hoax. He's going to let this investigation play out, come up with nothing, a box of air popcorn, and then he's going to release the Kraken. 
And when he releases the Kraken and we read all this and we find out this was a setup, it is going to be a devastating blow to Mueller, who clearly understands now he has to make arrests and shut these people down. Why do I say that? I was forwarded a, a Times piece back from July of 2017 when all this is happening, Joe. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, Manafort and Trump, uh, Trump Jr. are up at the Hill. They're testifying about this Trump Tower meeting, right? Yeah. The text messages come out. The House GOP demands a second special counsel because they're probably getting wind that this was a setup now too. Mm-hmm. this Trump Tower meeting. The story breaks about in Circa about Jim Baker, the FBI lawyer, being under criminal investigation for leaks. Leaks to who? Was it the New York Times? Because the New York Times in July of 2017 are one of the first outlets to break the story about the Trump Tower meeting. And the way they frame it is fascinating. Oh, Trump meeting with these Russians. Oh, Trump Jr. Look at this. This is so bad. But what's fascinating about this whole thing is the New York Times shockingly gives a spokesperson for Donald Trump, President Donald Trump's lawyer, the opportunity to respond. Because the New York Times is a full-blown propaganda outlet that's in gaslighting to gaslighting. I'm stunned they even gave him the chance to respond. Keep in mind what I'm telling you. The Trump team has known the whole time they've been set up that this is a scam. Here's a quote from the New York Times piece in July of 2017 when the Civil War breaks out between the collusion hoaxers and the good guys on the inside of the Trump team who know they've been set up. He's questioned about this Trump Tower meeting, and Trump's uh, a lawyer for the, uh, a spokesman for the president's lawyer, Mark Carollo, issued a statement implying that the Trump Tower meeting was a setup. <laughs> Miss Veselnitskaya and the translator who accompanied her to the meeting misrepresented who they were, it said. In an interview, Mr. Carollo explained that Ms. Veselnitskaya, in her anti-Magnitsky campaign, employs a private investigator whose firm, Fusion GPS, produced an intelligence dossier that contained unproven allegations against the president. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, what? How, how did we miss this? How did we miss this? Let's say that again. How did we miss this? Well, the answer is we didn't. But now we have it on the New York Times reporting it itself. The Trump team knows things. They just alluded to the fact that the Russian lawyer who shows up for this meeting, that's a setup with Trump. This is clear as day. It's a setup because remember, again, the DNC hack, alleged hack, is about to become public news in a week. They have to set up the Trump team for it. The Trump guy on the record, the spokesman, is saying, ladies and gentlemen, in July of 2017, as the Civil War breaks out, is telling everyone, including the New York Times, this whole meeting is a setup. That these people clearly misrepresented who they... What do you think that means, Joe? Misrepresented who they are. Yeah, so they're fibbing. It, it means they were coming in there to set up the Trump team. They weren't in there to talk about Hillary, Magnitsky, or anything else. The Trump team knows this. They've known it forever. I told you he knows. This guy's not... The president is not stupid. His greatest tactical advantage is the Kaiser Sose approach. You know, what do they say about well, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled is convincing people he doesn't exist. Trump's the greatest trick Trump ever pulled is letting the media believe that he's some kind of a, of a numbskull. Hmm. That's how he keeps smoking these idiots out. He knows this was a setup. They're on the record last year. Excuse me. Two years ago. Talking about this. Now, this is a setup. 
They know this was a setup. The Russians were sent to talk to Trump Jr. at the behest of people involved with people connected to the Clinton orbit. Now, what is this line? You may have missed this line at the end. That the Russian lawyer shows up who's working with Fusion GPS. The company hired by Hillary to set up and attack the Trump team. That it says, Miss Veselnitskaya, the lawyer, employs a private investigator whose firm, Fusion GPS, produced an intelligence dossier? Is this steel? Do you, how did everybody miss this? Is the Russian lawyer who showed up herself, does she have some kind of a business relationship with Steele? Is that the private investigator they're talking about who produced the dossier? If not, Joe, there's another private investigator who produced the dossier. Who's he or she? Joe, do you understand the connection I'm making here? The no. Times in 2017 already outed this whole thing. They're suggesting that the Russian lawyer that shows up in this setup of Don Trump Jr. at the Trump Tower meeting has employed a private investigator who produced a dossier, <laughs> an anti-Trump dossier. How, is th- how can this not be steel? What business relationship do they have? Has the Times corrected this? Or are they basically giving up the entire scam? That the people that showed up for the Trump Tower meeting were working precisely on that meeting only to set up Donald Trump. Now, what did the the lawyer for Perkins Coie, Sussman, the one who was talking to Jim? Now, let me give you the Jim Baker angle because this is important too. So let's tie that up. Daily Daily Caller story yesterday. The, uh, the Democrats were alleging that Don Trump Jr. met with these Russians and then called his dad from a block number. The call records are now released and are public. We don't know who he called, but we know one thing. By those numbers, he did not call his father. That is another conspiracy theory hoax promoted by Shifty Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell, entirely debunked. That story's generated new interest now again in this Trump Tower meeting where we're starting to find things out that are very, very convenient for this setup narrative right now. We found out that Don Trump Jr. testified in July about that meeting. So did Manafort. All of a sudden, Manafort's house is hit in the morning. You may say, folks, well, if Manafort's house was hit then, maybe that's evidence that the Trump Tower meeting was in fact collusion. It's never been cited in a charging document ever that there was a conspiracy generated at that meeting, ever. So you're telling me Mueller has it and he's hiding it? It's clear as day Mueller is charging these people with process crimes to shut down any investigation into what really happened here, a setup. And then point takeaway number three is the Russian lawyer that shows up, according to the New York Times, employs a private investigator working for Fusion GPS who put together a dossier. Who else could they be talking about? Is Christopher Steele working with the Russian lawyer shows up too? Folks, that, 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 that's hardcore evidence. Evidence. That this was a setup. Oh my gosh. Is anyone in the media going to open their eyes? It's pathetic. 
Take your blindfolds off, you idiots. But the kicker here, folks, again, is the Trump team knows this. The spokesman for the president's lawyer says clear as day. He, the, he issued a statement implying that the meeting was a setup, mm-hmm. like we've said forever. Now, there's some other bombshells that came out yesterday. Some other staggering stuff. The Epic Times has a piece out about the testimony that's now leaked about Bill Prystep, who was the number one uh, in the counterintel division. I've suggested to you repeatedly that Bill Prystep, who was a higher up, the, 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 the basic chain of command during this whole investigation into Trump, is Jim Comey, number one, Andy McCabe, number two. Prystep is the head of the counterintel division that reports to McCabe and Comey. If he was running the counterintel division and has testified up, in, up on the Hill, how come we don't have more information from him about this setup? Well, the Epic Times got a hold of some of his testimony in a piece I have in the show notes today, Bongino.com. And if you subscribe to the email list, we'll send them to you. That is just incredible. With some more epic tier one level Moab bombshells about exactly what went on and what they're hiding. All right, let's get to this last read and I'll get to that. Uh, Don't go anywhere. You're not going to want to miss this. It'll be a straight run to the end. We're going to run through the tape on this one. All right, finally, today's show brought to you by our buddies at Man Crates. Ladies and gentlemen, Man Crates is one of my favorite uh, sponsors out there. Uh, listen, we all get bad gifts as guys. Now, not my wife who's listening to the show. She's never, ever given a bad gift ever. I just want to be sure everybody for the record understands that. But some people out there, when get you, when you get your, 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 your husband, that guy in your life, who knows, maybe your buddy, you know, he graduates the police academy. You want to get him a, a cool guy gift. They're hard to find. And Valentine's Day is coming up. And it's really tough to get guys stuff for Valentine's Day, right? Listen, I'm giving you the answer right here. Man Crates knows what guys like, and they have hundreds of gift options, so you know you'll find the perfect surprise for him. I just got, and my, my wife, Paula, you can acknowledge this, right? My wife loved this. I got the ammo can uh, glasses, the pint beer glasses that are inscribed with my name and a slogan, and they come in an ammo can. It is the coolest thing ever. My wife's like, I'm not kidding. She's we got to get this for some other, some more of our friends and neighbors. It's so cool. And we got the salami bouquet, which is almost already done. It's real. Like there's an actual bouquet of salami. It's so cool. These gifts are totally unique. Most gifts shield a a ship, excuse me, in a sealed wooden crate with a crowbar. And opening them is an experience he will never forget. Unique gifts like the personalized barware crate with personalized pint glasses and a bottle opener and the pizza grilling crate with pizza stones and a two-sided dough roller that are used all the time. Or Man Crates takes on Valentine's Day with the jerky heart. A heart-shaped box full of beef jerky, no more of chocolates, or the salami bouquet, as I told you, one of my faves. Give an unforgettable Valentine's Day gift this year. Plus, every man crate comes with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Here's what you do. Get him a man crate, plus one of their meaty Valentine's Day gifts, and save, save big money. Just for Valentine's Day, get 14% off when you spend $100 or more at mancrates.com slash Bongino. That's 14% off when you spend $100 or more at mancrates.com slash Bongino. Mancrates.com slash Bongino. All right, let's get right to it. So big takeaways from Bill Prystep's now uh, what we have uh, portions of his testimony being public, what he set up on the Hill. Takeaway number one. 
This one's kind of, I'm going to go with the mildest first into the biggest uh, bombshell at the end. He, he tries to deflect many times, Price Step, when asked about the malfeasance, the FBI investigation into Trump, the Spygate controversy, the Clinton investigation and others. He talks about a lot of these investigations and he says, hey, listen, I was appointed into this role as the head of the counterintel division. I inherited the investigation. That's his quote. Now, I, I, I led with the mildest first because I'm going to be candid with you. My experience as a federal agent. I was a Secret Service agent for 12 years, working cases for about seven of those. And it is not uncommon to inherit a case. And Joe, I know you kind of dig these inside baseball stories. Yeah, but the way like this, yeah, the way this happens is people in, in field offices, when I got transferred to the Melville field office on Long Island, New York, uh, from the New York field office, uh, someone got transferred out. Now, that person has a bunch of criminal cases. They're working. They can no longer work because they're not located in the office. They can be called to testify, of course, but they're not going to be the lead agent on the case anymore. So you inherit cases halfway through, which, uh, again, folks, I got to tell you, is pretty annoying. You never worked a case. You never met the bad guys. You never interviewed them. You got to read through case files and try to understand people you've never met. I went to trial on a case like that. Ooh. And uh, I, got, I remember the case like it was yesterday. And I have to tell you, it was a train wreck. I was new. I just didn't really understand what was going on in the case as well as I should have, despite reading it 15, 20 times. Price Step's trying to wiggle out of this, saying, hey, I inherited these things. I didn't pick these teams. I didn't pick Peter Stroke. Um, so to be fair to Price Step, uh, and I think he may be trying to do the right thing here in some respects, inheriting an investigation is tough. He should have sensed what was going on, but that was one takeaway from it, the mildest. Hmm. But there's another one in here. There's a couple other big bombshells. Here's the other one. He talks about these transfers into this division right after the Hillary Clinton email investigation is opened up. Now, why is this important, ladies and gentlemen? Now we have this key upper echelon figure in the FBI who goes on the record. We have his testimony now and admits that after Hillary's case is opened up about the private server, Joe, and, and the uh, potential compromising of her private server, foreign actors getting a, a hostile foreign actors getting access to Hillary's sensitive emails. All of these transfers happen into the headquarters division that's managing this. But the transfers are key. Let me read to you from the Epic Times piece. On July 30th, 2015, within weeks of the FBI's opening of the Clinton investigation, Andrew McCabe was suddenly promoted to the number three position within the FBI <laughs> with his new title of associate deputy director. McCabe was transferred to the Washington uh, FBI headquarters from WFO, the Washington field office, and his direct uh, involvement in the Clinton investigation began. Gets better, Joe. Oh, who else is transferred two months after the Clinton investigation opens? Peter Stroke, known Trump hater and texter to his girlfriend, Lisa Page, is transferred to the FBI headquarters division as well. Why is this important, ladies and gentlemen? Andy McCabe, the, who was transferred to the number three position in 2015, but is now clearly in a role to have management uh, authority over the Clinton case. His wife is a Democrat who runs for office as a state senator in Virginia, in the state of Virginia, and takes money from a Democrat-aligned PAC connected to Hillary Clinton acolytes. This guy has an actual vested power and financial interest in his wife's and future employment as a politician based on Democrat politicians helping his wife out. Hmm. All of a sudden, he's magically transferred in to have some kind of a supervisory role under the Clinton investigation. And, oh, he reaches back into WFO and pulls his guy, their WFO, uh, Washington Field Office, pulls his guy, Peter Stroke, into headquarters with him. 
a known Trump hater. So just funny how those transfers just, just magically funny. happen as this case. Isn't that crazy? Everything in this case. I love how everything in this case is always just a massive coincidence to the left. Oh, unbelievable. It goes on. There's some, this one is one I've been pushing for a long time that I wish more people would focus on. All of us on the right and some media figures on the left who, who may have an idea and actually doing journalism one day. Joe, John Carlin, John yeah. Carlin, the head of the National Security Division at the Department of Justice at the end of the Obama administration. John Carlin is a key figure in this case. It has been stated multiple times. We covered it last week and the week before that significant portions of this case are being controlled by Carlin in the Department of Justice. People are reporting to him. Mm -hmm. Why does that name matter? I'm going to get to it in a second, why he matters. Some of you already know the answer to this, but if you don't, I want to read from the Epic Times piece. They're talking about how this investigation was broken down. And it says, joining the team were two DOJ lawyers from the Eastern District of Virginia and two attorneys from the DOJ's National Security Division, who, according to Price Step, remember, Joe, this is Price Step's testimony, were heavily engaged. According to testimony from Page, this is Lisa Page, John Carlin, who ran the National Security Division, was receiving briefings on both investigations, Trump and Clinton, directly from McCabe. So McCabe's wife is running as a Democrat in the state of Virginia, taking massive sums of money from Hillary Clinton acolytes. Carlin in the DOJ and McCabe are running this thing. He's getting, quote, daily briefings, as indicated by Lisa Page. Who's Carlin? What was his prior job? Some of you are probably screaming at home into the radio right now or your headphones. He was Bob Mueller's chief of staff. Now do you understand why (laughs) Mueller's running a cleanup operation? He's connected to all these people, all of them. He's connected to all of these people. Mueller has deep connections to Rosenstein, deep connections to Carlin, connections to the Uranium One investigation that went on when he was the FBI director, connections to some of the WikiLeaks hacks that went on when he was the FBI director. Mueller is the perfect cleanup guy. Yeah, Mueller's deep suit. Every single time. Yeah. This guy is connected to everyone. His former chief of staff, who was running the National Security Division, according to FBI insiders, was a key figure in this investigation who also had to sign off on these FISA warrants at some point, verifying the information that went into the FISA warrants through the Woods procedure, which puts him in that chain of command to verify this. How did he verify false information? The answer is he didn't. You can't verify false information. Now, there's more from this Pride Step testimony. When asked about the Clinton server anomaly highlighted by Representative Louis Gohmert, I've been dying to get to this story all week, folks. There have been some more breakthroughs on the Clinton email investigation. Apparently, the intelligence community inspector general, the equivalent of the internal affairs officer for our intelligence community, was doing an investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails, ladies and gentlemen, and found metadata anomalies indicating 
that hostile foreign actors were getting copies of Hillary Clinton's emails. Listen to what I just said. Hostile foreign actors, there's heavy, heavy evidence through metadata tags that Hillary Clinton's emails were being read by hostile foreign actors. I think I shall now be sick. (laughs) The evidence is troubling. It was referred to the FBI, who promptly did nothing with it. (laughs) So Price Step is asked about this in testimony by Jim Jordan and others. He's asked, what happened with this Clinton server anomaly, this metadata thing? What did you guys do with this? Price Step's like, hey, I never heard that. But he said, if I would have heard it, quote, it would have been a big deal. Folks, do you see how, listen to, it's so frustrating what's going on. Every damning piece of evidence that emerges against Hillary Clinton about this scandalous uh, email scandal, setting up a private server that was that was hacked. Foreign actors are reading her emails. Every bit of evidence that emerges that this scandal is a bigger deal than we're letting on falls into an information black hole. Yet every nonsensical, unverified dossier and rumor and innuendo against Donald Trump that later turns out to be false and a hoax makes its way into the FISA court. Do you see the anomaly here? The Clinton case, no matter how much evidence emerges that Hillary Clinton, in violation of U.S. law, transmitted classified information, grossly negligent, over a private service she was unauthorized to have, it all goes down an information black hole because the people running this are transferred into the FBI headquarters from the Washington field office and probably selected because of their anti-Trump, pro-Clinton bias. A fact indicated by the Inspector General Horowitz himself, who indicated that he could not eliminate political bias as a reason for scrapping the evidence on Hillary and moving on to the Trump investigation. Mueller is the guy to clear this up. Mueller's the guy who is to come in and keep the heat on Donald Trump by an endless investigation using process crimes to lock up anyone associated with the Trump orbit to buy enough time to allow this to go away. It is clear as day. Mueller is not a good guy. He is not doing the right thing. He's exposed none of this. You want to look for real Russian collusion? Go back to the July New York Times story from 2017, which indicates that the Russian lawyer that showed up for the Trump Tower meeting, may have been connected to the same guy being paid by Hillary to gin up this fake dossier. Does that not bother anyone? You want Russian collusion? It's right in front of your face. The Times itself quoted it. And thank you to my friend for sending that over this morning. Because I'd forgotten about that piece, despite the fact I think it's it's even cited in our book. There's just so much here. It hits you like a fire hose. There's more in the price step piece, Joe. He's asked about these trips to London he keeps making. There are three trips to London. The first trip he talks about in this hearing, where price step indicates that it was entirely unrelated. Um, to, you know, to uh, to the Trump investigation or the Hillary investigation. Right. 
But there's a second trip to London. Price Step refuses, adamantly refuses to talk about it, either that or the third trip to London, but he indicates they're for two different purposes. But he will not talk about what the purpose of those meetings are. Folks, again, put two and two together. I'm not asking anyone here to be Matlock, to, to book them Dano from Hawaii Five O. I'm just asking people who are even mildly skeptical of what's going on to put basic sets of facts together. Trump has threatened President Trump to declassify all of the documents on this case, the FISA documents and others, where the American public can see what happened. Who objected to that? The intelligence community and foreign partners. We now know from multiple reports by CNN, The Guardian, and others that people in the high levels of the London intelligence apparatus were meeting with people in the U.S. intelligence agencies, including John Brennan himself, noted political hack, and passing information to the Obama team about the Trump team. We also know now, according to this New York Times piece, too, that there is a private investigator working for Fusion GPS who's compiled a dossier which fits all the characteristics of Steele, who is working with a Russian lawyer that shows up to the Trump Tower meeting. Folks, how deeply was the United Kingdom involved in this setup? What did they know? When did they know it? And why were we using them? Folks, it's clear why we were using them. Surveillance laws in the United Kingdom are a lot looser than surveillance laws on citizens here in the United States. It's pretty crystal clear at this point that the Obama administration, in an effort to sideline, sweep under the rug any specific paper trail. There's nefarious actions to spy on the Trump team during the campaign and potentially other campaigns, too, that that met a roadblock when Mike Rogers at the NSA was not willing to play ball anymore. So what were they using? They were using foreign partners, five eyes cooperators, notably the United Kingdom to gather information about U S citizens. The Obama administration couldn't gather on its own without leaving a deep and detailed paper trail. Price step was over in London three times. And that's the one thing he won't talk about? Does that, wh- wh- why is he not talking about it? If it's benign, why is he not? He talked about his first meeting. He said, oh, I went over there and it was a, he said something about he met some London intelligence people and they invited him over for some kind of information sharing thing. He had no problem talking about that, Joe. But the second meeting, which happens right around this springtime where the spying operation on the Trump campaign heats up, he won't talk about that at all? Peter Stroke's text, he talks about Oconus lures, meaning lures from outside of the continental United States. What are lures mean? Luring what? Like a fish lure? Are you baiting people in? Who are those people you were baiting? Were you trying to get the Trump team to be fish? You could bite on your lures at the end of your fishing pole? Is that what the, in the, or in the Stroke text we still haven't seen? Is that, is that what's in the FISA documents? Is that what's in the emails? Folks, what was Steele doing? Who was Steele working with? Was he working with key higher-ups in the upper echelon of the United Kingdom intelligence apparatus he had come from, but as a private investigator, so they could detach any official knowledge of it too? In other words, Joe, we can't do this officially. 
MI5, MI6. But we have a guy, Christopher Steele here. He used to work with us. He's still connected. We can kind of do it for him. Folks, why is he refusing to talk about these trips? It's bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. All right, let me sum up where we were, and I want to end on one final note uh, about the uh, just the disturbing kind of place we are right now. I don't I don't want to leave you in a bad note on a Friday on it, but uh, I do want to bring your attention to it because it's an interesting line by this uh, guy Epstein in the Wall Street Journal today. Let's just sum up where we were. So again, yesterday's story breaks. Uh, Trump Jr. did not call his dad after this uh, Trump Tower meeting, debunking another ridiculous leftist myth. This Trump Tower meeting is now going to be the focal point, even despite this fact that he never called his dad, is still going to be the focal point of this. Why? Because the Trump Tower meeting is not evidence of collusion. It's evidence of the Clinton team's effort to set up Trump Jr. Does that make sense, Joe? The left yeah. does. They will always call attention to things that, 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 are, that are their issues, but they will gaslight you and make you believe it's a, re- a Republican issue. They are using the Trump Tower meeting because they're trying to cover up the setup. The New York Times knows this. July of 2017, they must know this from a source. You have this leak to the New York Times about the Trump Tower meeting. Was that leak from people associated with the higher-ups in the FBI? Was that a Baker leak? Jim Baker, the general counsel to Jim Comey. We know he's under investigation now for leaks. Did he leak that story to the New York Times? Was it an effort to cover up what they knew was a setup? Inquiring minds would want to know, but none of those inquiring minds are journalists. Finally, price step seems really shady about this London meeting. Doesn't want to talk about it again, indicating that the UK had a more significant role in the spying operation than anybody's letting on. He says he wasn't notified about the Clinton server anomaly. Where did that go? How was that information buried? How did all this Clinton information wind up in a black hole? He says he inherited the investigation so he could take his fingerprints off it. He also indicates Carlin, Bob Mueller's old chief of staff, had a key role in this entire case. And he lets on to us that these there were significant transfers to headquarters to manage the Hillary Clinton case in 2015 when it was open, which says to me they needed friendlies in there. Devastating, damaging stuff. Also, the Trump Tower meeting happens conveniently a week before the bombshell that the DNC was hacked by the Russians. Folks, they knew that was coming out. It's pretty crystal clear at this point. And the Trump Tower meeting was a setup. Bookmark this episode. When that all comes out, you're going to go, yeah, what's today's date, Joe? Today's date is... Mm, 2-1. Second or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's episode, what is it? 907 907, yep. 907, yeah, yep. 907. Bookmark the date. When this comes out, you'll say you heard it here first. All right, one final note for the week. I read an interesting line by the... This guy uh, Epstein wrote in the Wall Street Journal today. He was talking about how... We just don't share a set of common values anymore. And it's a, it's, a, it's a point I think many of you already know, but it's worth accentuating, especially on a Friday, so you understand the fight we're in. You know, ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of good things happening. I believe the, that Trump is the warrior we needed right now on the economic front and against these culture wars. There's no one better to fight back uh, with someone who has nothing to lose, and he doesn't. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your PR. He doesn't need your fame. He needs nothing. Um, he's the perfect guy to do this right now. But the problem we're having right now, as Epstein highlights, is we don't share a common set of values anymore. We are two distinct separate spheres right now with no intersection. The radical far left and then liberty lovers, notably us. There is no intersection anymore. Whereas, and I don't want to, 
I don't want to be hyperbolic and talk about the halcyon days, like the country was ever formally united. And it was always division in the country. But Joe, it's getting worse. And I don't know if these ideas are reconcilable anymore. Mm hmm. You know, when you're talking about capitalism versus socialism, as I addressed earlier in the show with these confiscatory tax rates, those two ideas can't exist. Either we control our economic prosperity as free economic American citizens or the government controls it. Those ideas can't coexist. I say this again because you have to understand the fight we're in. Second, ideas about you know, you know gender and things like this. You either believe in science or you don't. You can't believe there are 672 genders and then believe in, 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 in DNA and chromosomes. You can't. Those two ideas are not reconcilable. You either believe in science or you don't. Third, religion, freedom, freedom of religion, freedom to protect yourself, freedom to exist free of government interference as long as you're not breaking any laws. Those ideas don't exist anymore with the left. They now believe in the police state crushing anyone who, uh, who, who puts an obstacle for their grand big government path. These two ideas can't coexist. You can't be free and be crushed by the government at the same time. I say this, folks, because I just want you to be aware of the fight we're in. These fights coming up ahead are not political fights anymore. These are cultural clashes about the very identity of the republic, about who we are. These are really not political fights, Joe, about a 70% tax rate versus a 37% rate versus a 90% rate. The, 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 the very idea, economic liberty itself is at stake. This isn't a, you know, an argument about rights for people who happen to be gay or not. This is a, when it comes to this, this is an, the very idea of you having the right to your own fundamental big R right to freedom of religion is at stake. Yep. These are big fights. They need you to be in the game. 2020 is coming up. Cory Booker announced today this uh, this uh, this uh, field is going to be uh, it's going to be deep. It's going to be wide on the Democrat side. You're going to have potentially a third party candidate with Schultz. Get ready for the fights ahead, folks. These are cultural classes about the very identity of the republic. The political fights. Now, there's going to be a political fight, but these are not political fights. These are identity fights about who we are as a country. Yep. And they're serious. All right, folks, thanks again for another great week of shows. I appreciate your loyalty to the show. It really means a lot. Uh, the show has been growing just uh, geometrically lately, so I really appreciate it. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can also listen on SoundCloud. You can uh, follow us on iHeart. It's the subscriptions that drive us up the charts where it enables other people to find the show. I really appreciate that. Pick up a copy of my book, Spygate 2. It's been moving up the charts again, where it lays out the whole setup in detail. Thanks for tuning in, folks. I'll see you all on Monday. Good day, sir. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.